This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. All right, we're going to go to Acts 8, but but before we give there, I've just I've had so many people ask me different things about Israel when I was there. So I, I try to go back and remember things, and people will say, well, what was your favorite? Well, I can't say I had a favorite. There were so many things, but there was one day we were on the Sea of Galilee. It's incredible to think that. I was on the Sea of Galilee. And we're out there in the boat, and you begin to look out across the, the sea. And the Sea of Galilee, it's huge, guys. It's, it's not a little area. And I, I begin to look around, and you realize this is the very things that Jesus saw. And so now, uh, geographically, I, I can picture things in my mind. Uh, back to the west was the city of Nazareth. On the hillside was Tiberias. And then you come down to the city of Magdala, where Mary Magdalene was from. Uh, to, to my rider going toward the north would be the city of Capernaum. And then you get up high to an area, and you may have seen it on the news re- recently, called the Golan Heights. And then you get into the Syrian border. Well, right on the Syrian border is Mount Hermon. And, and Mount Hermon right now is spectacular because it's completely covered in snow. So when you look at Mount Hermon, over 90% of Mount Hermon is in Syria. And so just a little under 10% of that's in Israel. But yet the majority or 90 plus percentage of the water that melts off from the snow of Mount Hermon, it flows into the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is always between 160 and 170 feet deep. And so at one time it was 50% of their water. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because years ago, the Syrians didn't like all the water running off there. So they thought, you know what? We're going to build a dam and we're not going to allow it to go to Israel. So they build a dam. And you know what happens? It begins to come up through natural springs and it still runs to Israel. And so I, I love that thought that you, you can't stop what God's going to do. God's a big God. And, and so again, those were some of the highlights. But here's another appreciation that I have for the Lord Jesus and the disciples. When you begin to see the locations from it was to, to Nazareth to the city, uh, the Sea of Galilee, it was miles. Jesus and the disciples, not only were they in incredible shape, they were bad to the bone. Man, I'm telling you. I looked at that and I thought, man, those guys are incredible what they did. So Israel's like this, guys. Hills and valleys and up and down. And so just a little thought. I'll give you little tidbits ever every week as we go on and I won't try to baffle you with my Hebrew I struggle with the English so we'll just stay with that okay Acts chapter 9 now or Acts chapter 8 and before we get going here we we've been on this series on the Holy Spirit for a number of weeks actually months now Uh, when I begin to study on those lines one of the things the Lord really impressed on me was he said keep speaking about the Holy Spirit Many of us that are older in here, we we remember when it was said the Holy Ghost. I don't say that anymore because a lot of times that freaks people out. And so I I believe in teaching on this, the Lord saying, I want my people to get comfortable with hearing about the Holy Spirit. I I don't want when you mention the Holy Spirit that people put on the the spiritual uh, emergency brake. Freak out. No, we just want to get you where you realize the Holy Spirit is part of the, the, the Trinity, okay? And so we begin here in, in Acts 8, 
Verse number four. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, and Philip was a non-apostle. He went down to the city of Samaria and he preached Christ to them. Now, it's interesting, the two phrases. They preached the word, but this time when it says they preached Jesus to them, that's salvation. He preached salvation to them. Verse 6, then the multitudes with one accord, they heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and see the miracles which he did for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed and there was great joy in that city. I bet so. That's what happens when you preach Jesus. Same chapter, verse 12. But when they believed Philip and when you see the statement they believed Philip, they got born again as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So immediately you see two spiritual significance take place. The first thing is they got born again. The second thing is they got water baptized. How many of you believe that those two spiritual experiences are still good for our society right now? I believe they're still significant. Verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. He got born again and he was also water baptized. He continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. And when they'd come down, they prayed for them that they may join the church. That's not what it said. They prayed for them that they might receive the right hand of fellowship. No, it said that they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. So I, I begin to look at this and I think, okay, when you see Peter and John sees these people, they're born again, they're water baptized, but yet they said, and we need to pray for them that they get filled with the Holy Spirit. So if people being born again and people being water baptized to this day, it's still significant. Why have we dodged the Holy Spirit? Why have we not listened to what the Word of God talks about? Verse 16, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And it's interesting, he said they had only, not, not downplaying salvation, not downplaying water baptism, but again, that statement there says there's still more. Verse 17, then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So we go back and we find out that these Samaritans had been born again, verse 12. They'd been bought water baptized in verse 12 and verse 16. But also, they are being led to another significant experience which the author Luke describes as receiving of the Holy Spirit. This is what the disciples said they need. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 19. Now when we get to Acts 19, this is the apostle Paul who had wrote the majority of the New Testament. And if we were to study the, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul studied under a, a, a rabbi named Gamaliel who himself was brilliant, but Paul became a brilliant scholar himself. But when we study about the man named Saul, he was persecuting the Christians. 
And in Acts 9, he was blinded, and that's when the Lord appeared to him. And the apostle Paul ultimately got born again, and he got filled with the Holy Spirit. Now we see him in his ministry here in Acts 19, beginning in verse 1. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul passed through the upper regions from Ephesus, and he found in some disciples. They're born again. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now, when I see the question he answered that, I believe that question's still valid to this day. And it's interesting. He said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And look at their response. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And so these guys, they were defective when it came to the Holy Spirit. Now, when we see the question there, this can be asked to many of us to this day because uh, oftentimes we grow up in a society or we grow up in a church where you hear people say, we don't mention the Holy Spirit. We don't talk about the Holy Spirit. And oftentimes this exact statement would be the same with many of us. I've never even heard about the Holy Spirit. Verse three. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? So they said, into John's baptism. Now watch how Paul answers the question. Then Paul said, John did indeed and baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. So again, these people are born again and they're water baptized, but watch what happens in verse five. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now the reason verse five is very significant, it's the only place in the New Testament where you can see that believers were actually rebaptized in water. Now I don't want you to throw stones at me. Don't lose your salvation over this, okay? But it's interesting right here why Paul would rebaptize them in water. You know why I believe part of it is? How many of you in this room, when you got water baptized, did you really even understand what was going on? I didn't. The first time I was water baptized is when I was a third grader. So just think about that just a second. So when we get water baptized at a young age, why do we normally do that? Because we got a parent that says, you really ought to be water baptized. And so we do it, but what begins to happen when we begin to get knowledge pertaining to water baptism, we think, I understand it now. And so don't, don't lose your salvation again, okay, over this. This is right here in Acts 19, verse five, interesting statement, but watch what he says in verse six. And when Paul had laid hands on them, that's biblical. The Holy Spirit came upon them, that's biblical. And they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and that's biblical. And some of you just tilted you when I read that part. Oh my gosh. Drop your stones, okay? What I want you to see there in, in verse six is all through that, we see them get born again we see him get water baptized, and we see him get filled with the Holy Spirit. Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Remember the Lord Jesus said, you need a helper. I'm going to send you a helper. Remember in Acts 1-8, he said, when you receive the Holy Spirit, 
you'll receive power. Now, the rest of this morning, I'm going to take us through scriptures on why it's so important for you and me to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I personally believe this morning, this will be the ammunition biblically that some of you are needing. Go way to your right to the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And, and as you're turning there, sometimes we have this thing or this thought, something's wrong. Something's missing in my life. And, and that statement is correct, but the thing that's missing isn't a something, it's a someone, which is the Holy Spirit. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Your thinking needs to be clear. Be sober. That word sober means self-controlled or morally alert. Rest your hope fully upon the grace that is brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not conforming or molding or shaping yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. Now, when I looked at verse 14, this would probably define every one of us in here. That even though we got born again, it's very easy for us to fall back into our former lusts. In other words, that my life becomes identified by the things that I used to do before I was born again. Now again, if, if you noticed in verse 13, he talked about Christ Jesus being in. So again, he's talking to born, born again people. But yet, I can still repeat the same uh, physical lust that I had before. This is exactly what he's saying. Verse 15. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in your conduct, in your manner of living. You also be. Now what happens with every one of us is we get born again. And then we start trying to do everything out of our own abilities and our own talent and our own power. And then we start failing and then we start beating ourselves up and we think, what's wrong with me? I gave my heart to Jesus and this is the exact thing the Apostle Paul experienced. He said, the things that I don't want to do, that's what I find myself doing. Can anybody relate? I can. That's me to a T. But look what he says in verse number 16. Because it is written, be holy. The word holy means sanctified. It means set apart. Be holy, for I am holy. And so the desire here is the Holy Spirit comes on the inside of us and he imparts his own nature within us. And the Holy Spirit right here was given as his nature implies. Holy Spirit. So have we tried to accomplish these things in our life, our conduct, our manner of living without the Holy Spirit? We have. Zechariah 4, 6, the prophet Zechariah said this. He said, it's not by might. 
Not by power, but it's by the Holy Spirit. So when I look at all this, you know what I believe happens here? Peter, John, and Paul, they all knew. These, these disciples, these people that got born again, they're water baptized, water baptized, but they still needed the Holy Spirit. Now, go with me to the book of Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to be in Galatians, then in Romans, and that's where we'll end today. We've got a ways to go, so turn your timer off. Galatians chapter 5. As you're turning to Galatians 5, let me ask you this question. How many times in your life have you either thought this or you said this? I need supernatural help. I, I need supernatural assistance. Man, there's many times. You know, let me give you my paraphrased edition of that. I got about a half a nostril out of water. In other words, I'm getting ready to go under unless I get some supernatural help and supernatural assistance. And so I, I go back to my life over 40 years ago now, and I begin to think, what happened to me as a young boy? Because Galatians 5 and Romans 8, where we're going to be, this was me to a T. I wanted to please God, but I couldn't do it in my own abilities. And so we begin here in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Now, when I read that, just exactly what does that yield or what does that look like? So when I see the word walk there, it means proof of ability. It's also a verb that implies progression and steady progressing. The Holy Spirit both monitors and powers. So he said there, walk in the Holy Spirit. Why? And you shall not fulfill the lust of your flesh. So let's read into that just real briefly here. If I don't walk in the Holy Spirit, if I don't yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, if I don't yield to the influence of the Holy Spirit, my flesh and your flesh is going to dominate you. Wow. This will help you. Verse 17. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these, the flesh and the spirit, are contrary to one another. Now I want to stop right there because what he's literally telling us is... is these two, the flesh and the spirit, are, are diametrically opposed to each other. Complete, it's like there's a tug of war. It's like the apostle Paul saying, there's a carnal undertow and it's trying to pull me. I want to obey the things of the spirit, but this thing called the flesh is yanking me this way. And look how he ends in verse 17 and he says, so that you do not do the things you wish. Have you ever been there or are you there right now? See, even the Apostle Paul, he said, the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And the things that I want to do, I don't do. So again, he begins to give us incredible insight right here.
And so what the Holy Spirit does, he enables us to subdue the lust of the flesh. How does that look? Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, and you might highlight the word if, that's a choice. If you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And so to be led by the Spirit is the gift of intimacy with the Holy Spirit. So guess what happens? You're either going to be led by the Spirit or you're going to be led by the flesh. One or the other. So when I begin to look at this right here, in order for me to be led by the Spirit of God, I've got to unplug from, the, from some of the things in this world that dominate me. How many have ever studied the average time a human being in America is on TV right now? It's incredible. TV, the movies, the internet, social media. You're not going to find the Holy Spirit in social media, okay? I know that hurts. Even your cell phone. Now, I'm not really technologically advanced. If I need something on the internet, if I need something technologically, I ask these young guys on my staff, pull this up, figure it out. So I have an app on my phone, and here's the truth. I don't even know how it got there. It springs up every Sunday. And I thought, wow, I wonder where this came from. But that app literally tells me how many minutes or hours a day I spend on my cell phone. Any of you have that app? Wow, I'm special. I can tell you this, mine is still in minutes. I'm not in hours. But I love when I pull that thing up and it says, your average screen time for the week was down 23%. I think, thank you, Lord. Keep me off that thing. So I'm around a guy in the church not long ago, and he says this to me. He said, Pastor, my teenage daughter, you know how, how many hours she's on her phone a day? I said, how many? He goes, Nine. Now let me give you my paraphrased edition. Son of a bendigo. <laughs> Nine hours. And so again, we, we wonder why we're never led by the Holy Spirit. I'm, I'm too caught up in this thing called life. And so it's like the Holy Spirit calls you on the phone. He wants to talk. He wants a fellowship. And you hang up. Wrong answer. Wrong number. And then he calls back and you just keep hanging up and keep hanging up. Well, let me ask you this. If every time your wife or your husband called you and you said wrong number and hung up, what do you think that would happen? I wouldn't be real popular when I got home that night. Or when Shelly called me and I answered and says, who is this? That would be a good one. Now, if you've been married about a week, you may get away with that. But if you've been married as long as I have, that's not good. <laughs> but when the Holy Spirit tries to, to communicate with us and we hang up on him. I, I don't have time. I'm too busy. Now, I can tell you this. 
God, God's not against you watching the basketball games today. And some of you say, well, good, I was going to watch it even if you didn't tell us that. <laughs> I know, that's why I said that. He's not against you doing fun things. He's not against me enjoying life. But he does want to have a part in your life. Same chapter. Verse, where were I at? I'm in Galatians, aren't I? Wow, it's bad when you're preaching and you lose where you're at. So we see this here in verse 18. Now, for time's sake, I'm just going to quote verse 19, 20, 21, 22, 23 for you. He gets over on the definition of the lust of the flesh. And he breaks it down into really four categories. The first one is sexual sin. It's the lust of the flesh. I encourage you, go through there and look and see if you're a candidate for that. The next one is pagan religion or worship, worshiping false gods. The third one is sins of anger. I think there's nine of them that deal with anger. And the last one is sins of drunkenness. Those are the lusts of the flesh. Man, just go through there and make a check mark. And there was a time in my life, I checked quite a few of those. I said, yeah, that's me. But in Galatians 5, and 23, he says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, self-control, goodness, kindness, gentleness, meekness, or the robe of humility. Now, when he talks about those, I'm, I'm going to gravitate to one or the other. Same chapter, verse 24. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. They've crucified the flesh. So that verb indicates a decisive act. It begins with repentance. One of the greatest things you can learn to do is repent. And when I repent, God will forgive me. But look what he says in verse 25. If we live in the Spirit... Let us also walk in the Spirit. So there's that word again. So to walk in the Spirit is to walk along the path that the Holy Spirit lays down. Now I want to take you to one last passage here. And this one I believe will really help us. Go to the book of Romans chapter 8. Just back to your left just a little bit. Now this is the Apostle Paul writing again. And I, I got to paraphrase some of it because of time. But in, in Romans chapter 6... Verse 1, he says this, Shall we continually to sin so that grace will abound? And then you know what he says next? Certainly not. Certainly not. Same chapter. Romans 6 verse 23 says, The wages, the compensation of sin is death. Now I believe many times in our life, we, we have this thought, what, what's the matter with a little sin? Long as it's ever to now and then, what's the matter with a little sin? But if I was really to look into what the Bible says, the wages of sin is death for each one of us. So we start in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word condemnation means Guilty of wrong. So literally what this is talking about is anytime we sin, 
The devil comes with the thing called condemnation and he tries to put a thing of guilty of sin on every one of us, of shame and guilt. And it's like he takes a ball ping hammer and he starts pinging us on the head and he tells us how sorry we are. How many have experienced that? I've experienced that. But it's interesting right here. He says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, comma. I'm not an English scholar, okay? But I do realize where there's a comma, he pauses. Now we finish the rest of verse one. Who do not walk, and there's that phrase walk again, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so again, he gives us two ways that believers are gonna operate in. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. So he declares that the Spirit assures death to sin and makes holiness possible. When I begin to look at this, you know what I begin to figure out? I'm not going to get to a place of holiness. I'm not going to get a place, the, the, uh, the, the places of sin in my life without the Holy Spirit. And I believe the apostle Paul knew that. I believe the apostle John and Peter knew that. And so we skip down. Verse number five. For those who live according to the flesh, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. They meditate on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. And so uh, according to, to this right here, the thoughts that fill our minds each moment through the day are going to lead me into one direction or to another direction. Now, let me ask you something. Who's responsible for their thoughts? Kenneth Hagin used to always say this. You can't keep the birds from flying over your head, but you can sure keep them from nesting in your hair. Say that again, Mildred. No, I'm not. Here's the thought on that. The devil will constantly throw games at your thought life. Constantly at your thought life. How is your thought life? Have you been dating the devil? Have you and the devil been romancing? Break up with that cat. He's a dirty old rat. All he want to do is ride your back. He'll get you down, down, down to the ground and treat you just like a dirty old hound. Don't treat the thought like it never came, but cast it down in Jesus' name. Oh, yeah. Now you're going to have to buy the tape to get that, okay? And, and I'm not going to sign it after it's over. I, I can really wrap it, but I'm not going to do that for you. Again, the thought in there. Thoughts are going to come, okay? It's what I do with the thought that counts. I believe that's where the Holy Spirit comes into play. Keep reading, verse 6. For to be carnally or fleshly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. 
So when I allow my mind to drift this way, he said it's death. But when I allow the Holy Spirit to, to influence my thinking and my mind, it's life and peace. Because the carnal mind or the fleshly mind is enmity or hostility against God, for it is not subject to the, God, God, or the law of God, nor indeed can be. Now, mark this one. Romans 8, 8. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Period. I can't please God when I let the flesh dominate me. Now we'll end in verse 12, 13, and 14. Go with me there. Therefore, brethren, so now you see a completely different light here. He was writing this to Christians, to me and you. Therefore, brethren, we are not debtors. We are not obligated or ruled to the flesh, but according to live to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body. So Paul reminds us that it is only by the Spirit. I don't know if you got that or not. But if I read or interpret correctly what the Apostle Paul's saying, my only hope against my flesh is the Holy Spirit. Again, I, I can't do this out of my own ability and my own powers. And so something happens when I get filled with the Holy Spirit. And he comes on the inside of me and he starts working. He inwardly motivates me. Let me give you a, a, a brief description of how that works with me. When, when I, and I get a TV ro remote control in my hand, I'm, I'm a champion channel surfer. Drive Shelly nuts. And there are times I can be flicking around. And I'll have an inward nudge. Something on the inside of me. In 1 Kings, he told Elijah, it was a still, small voice. And I'll get this, and, and it's, not, it's not like it's audible. But I'll get this nudge, and it's like, don't stop on that channel. Again, I don't hear, hey, stupid, don't stop there. But I sense something in my heart right here. And understand this, when I sense like that, I know it's not out of my own abilities, it's from the Holy Spirit. And so when I get that sense, that nudge, don't stop at that channel, guess what happens next? I choose whether I obey that or I disobey that. And when I disobey that, it's like I run a spiritual red light. And when you run a spiritual red light, you're gonna pay for it. You think running a red light in the natural is expensive, you keep running spiritual red lights. Have you ever done that, Pastor? I have. And man, I look and say, Holy Spirit, I, I don't wanna grieve you, I don't wanna quench you. And so he goes on to say this. For as many are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God.
It describes the lifestyle of those who are sons of God. They're, they're leading by the Spirit of God right here. It involves progressively putting to death the sinful appetites. So literally what that's saying, it's a progress. And the more I allow him to lead me, the farther I go along. It's a progress. Listen, guys, I'm not speaking we're going to be perfect. The only one that was ever perfect was Jesus, and he was crucified for it. But what begins to happen is this. When I do blow it and I still do blow it, it now bothers me. It used to didn't bother me. You know why? You know what sinners do? We sin. But now when I get out of order and I know I've not allowed the Holy Spirit to move in my life, man, I repent of it. I say, Lord, help me. So as I say all this, I believe every one of us in this room are in need of divine assistance. And so quit hanging up on the Holy Spirit. Again, don't freak out when you hear the term Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.